Welcome to another episode of Commuting the Cosmos. I'm your host, Samuel Hinton, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about black holes. Black holes are a topic close to my heart. They're one of the reasons that I actually went into astrophysics. I read about them as a young kid in a science encyclopedia, you know, as young kids do, and I thought, these things are just so weird, I want to know everything about them. Obviously, there is still more to know, and I was a bit too keen. The reason that we're covering black holes is because it turns out a lot of other people also want to know. I got a lot of requests for this. Rudalecki said black holes when I asked what should we talk about next. Vegan Diver Cat said, are they making black holes in CERN? Jordan said, your job is cool. Thanks, Jordan. It's not about black holes. I just wanted to put that in there. Holly Grace says, what does a black hole do or look like? And Vaishnavi asks, what if we could create a black hole? How could it happen and what would happen? So great, that's plenty to talk about. In fact, I might not be able to do all of those topics in great detail because it'll take too long. So let's start with the basics. What is a black hole? Well, simply put, a black hole is a region in space-time that has such a strong gravitational pull that nothing can escape from it. Anything that crosses the boundary of the black hole, which is what we call an event horizon, does not come back out. No matter how fast it's going, even if it's the speed of light, kiss it goodbye because that's the last you or anyone is ever going to see of it. You might have seen the movie Interstellar, where apparently with a rotating black hole, you can go in and out so long as the black hole does the moving, not the object. It is of course completely wrong. If you cross the event horizon of a black hole, you are gone. End of story. But even what I'm saying now, event horizon, if you go past the boundary, you won't come out. That doesn't tell you much. I think a better explanation of what a black hole is can be appreciated by figuring out how exactly they form, because that lets you know the processes behind and essentially gives you a nice sliding scale to try and put black holes in perspective. So the way that I'll be talking about how they form is the normal way, which are stars. We potentially have something called primordial black holes, and these are black holes that formed right after the Big Bang, but that's quite a technical topic, so I'm going to leave it to the the ones that we know and love, black holes that have formed from supernova. I love supernova. So let's get this started. Stars exist in equilibrium. Gravity pulls in, and the energy released from nuclear fusion pushes out. So that's all the hydrogen fusing together, helium, etc., releases heat, pushes everything out. The issue is that when a star runs out of fuel, when it's already fused all its gas, the outwards force of fusion stops pushing. And that means that gravity wins. When gravity wins, the star starts to collapse inwards. This isn't like a nice, gentle collapse. It's super fast. The star collapses inwards at up to 28% the speed of light. Thousands of kilometers a second. And this is, this is a problem because that's a lot of mass moving very quickly towards a single point, the center of the star. And when it hits the core of the star, several things can happen depending on how heavy the star is. If the star is nice and small, it'll compact down to a white dwarf. So a white dwarf is super, super dense, and it's a state where all the atoms are touching each other, and it's the electron degeneracy pressure stopping them collapsing any further. 
That is, you can't put two electrons on top of each other, so you can jam atoms as closely as you can until the electrons say, hey, we've had enough, and they push back. If you can get enough matter to get to that state, so you do need a lot of mass, so we're talking about stars here, not planets, then that's all well and good. You can still have a very hot white dwarf, and it's in equilibrium, so gravity is pulling in, but now the electrons themselves are pushing out. And so it's this nice stable configuration, and that's fine. However, if you keep adding mass, eventually the electrons aren't going to be enough, so gravity is going to beat the electrons. And so when you do that, the atoms collapse down. The protons and electrons in the atoms fuse together into neutrons, and you end up with something called a neutron star. So these are even more dense than white dwarfs, a teaspoon of which weighs an incredible amount. Imagine a super dense material, and then you take a, let's say, a millimeter cubed. And you might say, oh, if it weighs a kilogram, that's really heavy. Or if it weighs a ton, that's really heavy. A millimeter cubed of a neutron star weighs over 200 million kilograms, which is a lot. That's more than a super tanker. So it is incredibly dense. And now, instead of the electrons pushing apart from each other and counteracting gravity, we have the neutrons themselves pushing apart. And the neutron degeneracy pressure is much more than electron degeneracy pressure, simply because neutrons have a lot more mass than an electron. That's pretty much what it comes down to. So at this point we have a neutron star, these are small, incredibly dense, they're normally rotating incredibly fast, but they're stable. So what happens if we take a star that would have become a neutron star, and we keep throwing more and more mass on it? Well now you get to the region where you form black holes when the star implodes. So to put in context how much extra density you need, a neutron star, which uh, let's say weighs around 1.4 times the mass of the sun, will have a radius of approximately 15 kilometers. So the central business district in a large city. That's, that's pretty small for something that weighs more than the sun. If you then made that a black hole, if you had to keep shrinking it down until it formed a black hole, it would have a radius of around 4 kilometers. So you might not think that going from 15 kilometers to 4 kilometers is a big jump, but if you look at the volume of a sphere, rather than the radius, that's less than 2% the volume of a neutron star, which, as we've established, is already ridiculously dense. So, if you take a star that's big enough and heavy enough, so we're talking, let's say, 30 times the mass of our sun, it doesn't have to be 30, that's an arbitrary number, when that dies, when that undergoes a supernova explosion, the core of the star that gets rammed by all the infalling gas will compact down. First, it'll compact down to the atoms. The electrons will try and stabilize it, but they won't have the strength. Then it will compact down to a neutron star. They don't have the strength either. And so it keeps compacting down until space curves so much on itself that we get a black hole. So what happens inside a black hole? We don't really know. Essentially, we think we have a singularity. Now, if you hear singularity used in physics, that just means a place where our physics breaks down. Imagine dividing by zero, right? That's a singularity. Doesn't make any sense. It's sort of undefined. Unfortunately, we don't know if we'll ever be able to figure out what's in there, because to view, or I guess figure out what's inside a black hole, that is, past the event horizon, you have to go past the event horizon which means you'll never get to talk to anyone outside the black hole again, 
which is sort of a bummer if you're trying to figure it out. So here's a fun fact. For normal objects, an increase in mass is proportional to an increase in volume. So if you had a sphere and doubled the radius, you get eight times the volume, so you'd have eight times the mass, assuming that you, you know, it's made of the same thing, as the same density. For a black hole, the mass and the radius are directly linked, they're completely proportional. So if you have one, a black hole that has eight times the mass, the radius of the black hole is eight times what it was before, not double. And that is actually quite interesting because it means that black holes, when they get more and more massive, grow faster than anything else. And that means that the density that you need to form a black hole actually decreases with increasing mass. If you go to the center of our galaxy, where there's a supermassive black hole that weighs millions of times what our star does, the sun, well, it's not actually that dense. It's such a large object that because the mass and radius are proportional, you don't experience these monstrous forces that people normally associate with black holes, that is like being torn apart or similar. Because the black hole is so large, you don't feel it at all. Really, the dangerous black holes are the small ones, not the large ones, because it's only the small ones that exhibit those extreme forces that are actually dangerous to anything nearby. So let's imagine that we now have a star which has gone supernova and formed a black hole. What would it look like? And the answer is easy, it wouldn't look like anything. It's a black hole, if the background is also black, you can't see it. But what if the black, the black ground, what if the background isn't black? If we disregard gravity and mass for a moment, imagine if the moon was instead a moon-sized black hole. We would see it in the night sky because everywhere that the moon would have been would just be black. And we know that we would normally be seeing stars, but instead there's nothing there. In fact, around the edge of this moon black hole, we would see a whole field of distorted stars because the gravitational effects around the edge, where light isn't sucked in but instead severely warped, would cause the image of the stars behind the moon to appear stretched and distorted. So that, that would be fairly cool, we'd be able to see it like that, but obviously seeing a black hole by looking at what you can't see involves getting close enough to the black hole that it actually blocks out a significant portion of the night sky, which means you're probably too close to the black hole. You do not want to be there. And this is how you'd probably have to detect most black holes, unless they have an accretion disk. So an accretion disk is a thin disk of gas and dust from gas clouds or the remnants of a star that's slowly being sucked into the black hole. In these disks, all the gas and dust is bumping into one another, and all of that friction causes things to heat up. Just imagine if you rub your hands together on a cold day, it's the friction of your hands rubbing that causes them to heat. The same thing happens for all the gas and dust. So they hit each other, they get hot, they lose some of their energy, and that's what causes them to fall into the black hole, losing their energy, and emitting it as heat and light. The hotter something gets, the more light it tends to emit, and also the more powerful the light is. You know, if you take a, a piece of metal and you slowly heat it up, it goes from red, which is not much energy in the light, through to yellow, which has a bit more energy, and it goes up the scale. Eventually, you'd be emitting mostly in blue light, and then obviously our eyes stop working past that because we don't see ultraviolet or anything else that's fun. But what we would see with an accretion disk are all of these particles glowing red and white hot, emitting tons and tons of light, 
apart from obviously at the center where the black hole lives. That would obviously be just darkness because there's a black hole there. The interesting thing about these sort of accretion disks is how effective they are, how efficient they are at turning energy and mass into light. In fact, they're more efficient than nuclear weapons converting uranium into energy. If you pour a pint of beer into an accretion disk, it will release more energy than 100 Hiroshima atomic bombs. That's a lot of energy from a pint of beer, which means you probably also don't want to hang around an accretion disk, let alone the black hole itself. These are now twice as dangerous. Get out of there. So that's what a black hole looks like. Either nothing, or the absence of things, or it has a big fiery disk around it, which is probably emitting a lot of very harmful radiation. So, follow up question then, can we create a black hole? Unless we want to wait for a supermassive star to collapse, we're not going to be able to create anything big. There was this initial concern from some people who had no idea what CERN does that the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider, which is a particle collider in Europe, would destroy the Earth by creating tiny black holes that would grow and then swallow the planet. And therefore we had to stop those evil scientists from turning on the particle accelerator. How did they not know what they were doing? It is a bit amusing to think that all these scientists and engineers that spent their whole life researching the field and building this multi-billion dollar particle accelerator simply overlooked this giant problem with it destroying the planet. But lucky for us, I'm sure it's just luck, we're still here. So the concern was that the amount of energy output by the Large Hadron Collider, when put in such a small amount of space, i.e. two beams of protons colliding after they've been accelerated almost to the speed of light in opposite directions, would curve space-time so much that it would form a black hole. This is similar to how those primordial black holes that I was alluding to earlier would have formed in the early universe. Unfortunately, the LHC is not even close to that limit. Earth has been hit by cosmic rays, mostly from supernova, with hundreds of millions of times more energy than anything that we can produce. And this has been happening for every second that the Earth has existed. And we're still here. The other thing to note is that a black hole that small, that is a black hole made by such a small amount of energy, would evaporate almost instantly. Black holes aren't forever. Something called Hawking radiation, predicted by you-know-who, Stephen Hawking, says that black holes will in fact emit light. That is, it's not like light is escaping, but there is so much energy in space-time around a black hole because of all the gravitational field that it has, that sometimes light will be spontaneously created, some of which won't be absorbed by the black hole. So the black hole loses energy. Funnily enough, the smaller a black hole is, the faster it loses energy. So the really big black holes, they emit almost no radiation, the small ones emit a lot. And it's all to do with the, I guess, steepness of the gravitational field. So that is, remember how I said a really big black hole isn't too dangerous because it doesn't have those drastic gravitational field changes, but small ones do. So this means that the small black holes are the ones that evaporate faster. If two 14 tera electron volt proton beams, or protons themselves, collided to create a black hole, so 14 tera electron volts is the maximum energy of the Large Hadron Collider, 
So if two of them at maximum energy hit perfectly and created a black hole, it would have a mass of 10 to the power of negative 20 grams, 10 millionths of a billionth of a nanogram. It would decay into light in 10 to the power of negative 83 seconds. 83, right? That's no time. That is less than Planck time, which means it cannot exist. It's just not possible. Don't worry about it. So let's just pretend that it's not going to evaporate and ask what would then happen to the Earth? Black holes interact via gravity. They don't have some secondary force which pulls things in, it's just gravity. And it turns out, if you have something which is a mass of 10 to negative 20 grams, it doesn't have much gravitational strength. So what would happen if we had such a light black hole? Well, the black hole starts falling towards the center of the Earth. Just like any other object, except when it hits the floor, it doesn't really care, it just keeps going down because it is smaller than a proton. Right, that's fine. Every particle that it happens to bump into, let's say it swallows it, adds that particle's mass to its own, and it grows a bit in size. So we now have this tiny black hole falling towards the center of the Earth, and we say that it swallows everything it touches. It then gets to the center of the planet, and let's assume that it starts accreting matter, that is swallowing matter, at its maximum rate. Black holes do have a maximum rate with which they can absorb matter, because if they try and exceed that, essentially they start pushing matter away. It's called the Edmonton limit. Um, I'm not going to go into it. It's a thing. So let's say this black hole then, after falling to the center of the Earth, grows as fast as it can, at 100% its maximum rate. And we ask the question, how long would this black hole take to get to a single kilogram in mass? The answer is a bit surprising. It's three trillion years. Black holes, when they're this small, don't grow fast. So even at their maximum growth speed, we're going to have a black hole that's still the size of an atom in trillions of years. It's not something for anyone to worry about, even if we had a dozen of these black holes at the center of the planet, I honestly wouldn't care. I mean, it would be cool to study it scientifically, but it's not like, oh no, the planet's going to die, we're fine, we're safe, it's not an issue. So it turns out, in this sense, black holes probably aren't as scary as a lot of people think they are. When someone says, hey, what would happen if the sun turned into a black hole? Would we get sucked in? When would that happen? They don't understand that black holes are just gravitational objects, like everything else. If the sun became a black hole, nothing would happen for planet Earth, except it would get very cold because there's no longer any light shining on us. We wouldn't get sucked into the black hole, just like we're orbiting the sun, we'd start orbiting the black hole there instead. Nothing's going to change in orbital dynamics. So I guess to try and summarize all of this, black holes, well, they're pretty hard to see unless they have an accretion disk. If you do see one with an accretion disk, don't get too close. And if you want to see one forming, find the biggest star at the end of its life that you can and wait for it to go supernova and then watch everything shrink down into a black hole. Don't worry about us creating them on Earth. It's not going to happen. Chill. Anyway, I think that pretty much then wraps up this episode on black holes. I'll look over the responses and see what the next most requested topic is, and hopefully you can join us then. 
If you have any more suggestions or things that you want talked about, feel free to send me a message or send an email to commutingthecosmos at gmail.com. I should get on it and I should respond within the day. If I don't, you've been marked as spam. I'm sorry. Well, until next time.